Amen. The presence of the Lord is in this house. And let me tell you something. There's nothing, there's no songs like the songs that sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I could sing that song over and over and over again because that blood got a hold of my black heart and it washed it white as snow. I was full of sin. I was full of iniquity. I was full of filth and corruption. But the blood of Jesus Christ washed me white as snow. That blood of Jesus has justified me. The blood of Jesus has sanctified me. The blood of Jesus has healed me. The blood of Jesus has delivered me. The blood of Jesus Christ has given me rest. It has given me all that I need. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you tonight. We worship you, Lord, for you are worthy, oh God. We thank you for that blood that you shed 2,000 years ago, Lord. And that blood still has the same power today that it had 2,000 years ago. As the song says, it reaches to the highest mountain and it's right down there with me in the lowest of valley. It will never, 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 never lose its power. Let me tell you tonight, the blood of Jesus Christ is still the answer for you. It's still the answer for me. It won't lose its power because it can't lose its power. Hallelujah. Worship you, Lord. We honor you tonight, Lord. For you alone, Lord, are worthy. Nothing that we could ever do, Lord, could do what your blood has done for us, Father. So tonight, Lord, we simply say thank you, Lord. It's not enough, Lord God, to ever repay you. But, Lord, we say thank you tonight for what you have done. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen hallelujah oh i tell you there's nothing like the blood of jesus christ thank you amen amen i tell you they go to singing them songs about the blood and it makes me happy there's nothing like the blood that's what the church needs to get back to i'm afraid that we're trying to find all new songs and there's nothing wrong with new songs if it's anointed by the holy spirit that's good my gosh, we can't never get above the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. If we ever get above the blood, then we've lost our way. Amen. That's why Paul said, I declare nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Because Paul knew that the blood was the answer for everything that he needed, that the world needs, that you and I need tonight. Amen. So thankful for the presence of the Lord that, that has been in this house this morning and tonight. Amen. Uh, I am encouraged. Uh, if we didn't feel his presence and we didn't have his spirit, we need to be worried and in trouble. But I'm so thankful that his word is true. Where any two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Do you realize he's in the midst of you and I tonight? He's here tonight and he's worthy of all praise. He's worthy to be exalted for what he has done. And he desires God Almighty himself, the creator this world desires your praise Jessica he desires your praise Michael he desires your praise Aaron he desires our praise and delights when we lift them up to him Amen. to thank a lowly worm as I but yet it delights the heart of God when we say thank you Jesus for 
your blood. Amen. Because we're placing our faith in what God has provided to us. What nothing else could ever accomplish or could ever do, He provided for us. And with our faith in that, He is well pleased. Amen. So thankful. So thankful for the blood. So thankful for His presence. So thankful for His Spirit. Amen. Amen. We welcome you, those that are watching by internet. I see several of you that are online, and, and we are just so thankful that you joined in with us. Uh, we pray that you got to watch this morning. And if not, we encourage you to go back and watch the service. Uh, but if you can, share this video even now, this live service, uh, so that the word can go forth. Amen. So we'll be, turn to your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, chapter 2. And we will hopefully uh, finish out chapter 2 tonight. And I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed going through this uh, study on Sunday night, coming back uh, to the basics. And I, it's been more beneficial to the body of Christ than I think what we realize. And I think sometimes that we take it for granted. I think sometimes we just assume that, that people knows, but not everybody knows. And, and, and a lot of times people have to unlearn in order for them to learn again, amen. And the Lord is building the foundation again, and he's just adding more and more and more, amen. And again, I'm thankful for the songs that we sing. There's nothing like anointed music, praise, and worship. But can I tell you tonight, we live by the word of God. We live by the word of God. And when the day and hour ever comes that we can't come into church and enjoy the service, what if we didn't have the drum player? What if we didn't have the piano? What if we didn't have no singing, but all we have was the preaching of the word? That should be sufficient enough for you and I. Amen? Amen. Because it's the word that we live by. We don't live by singing, but we live by the word of Almighty God. Amen. And the preaching of the word is so important and so vital because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17. If you dare say amen. Verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And the, some of the greatest words right here, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And I want to minister tonight on the simple subject, crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, oh Lord, for your sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, there's nothing like your presence. There's nothing like your spirit, Lord. And God, we just so, so thankful for it. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would realize and know that, Lord, we can have your presence, your spirit, each and every single day, Lord. Not just on Sunday morning, not just on Sunday nights, not just on Wednesdays, Lord, but each and every single day, Lord, we can enter into your presence. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you did this morning, Lord, in the service, the hearts and lives that you touched. 
we're here tonight, Lord, ready to pull up to the table again to receive what you have for us. Lord, I'm asking that your anointing would come tonight. Rest upon our lips, Lord, that we would boldly proclaim your word. Lord, that we would rightly divide your word. Lord, we ask for the true preacher, the true teacher, your Holy Spirit to come and to speak through this vessel tonight. Lord, anoint the hearts and the ears of your people to receive your word tonight, God. Lord, let them realize, Lord, who they and Christ, and let them have a greater understanding, a greater revelation, Lord, of what you have done for us at Calvary. And Lord, we will not fail to give you praise for it all. Everyone said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. In the book of Galatians, as we have been studying, we find Paul who was fighting uh, Galatianism. Now, you may not have ever heard of that term, and you may say, well, what is Galatianism? But Galatianism is the error that, that we are saved by grace. It's the, the idea, if you will, that we're saved by grace and then kept in victory by obeying the law perfectly. That was the problem that Paul you know, battled in, in Galatia, and that was the Galatianism that was going on, that you're saved by grace, but then you're kept in victory by obeying the law perfectly. More or less is saying that the blood is good enough to be saved, but in order to maintain victory, in order to walk in victory, and to have your ultimate salvation, if you will, you've got to now keep the law perfectly. But understand that when we say obeying the law, then it was the law of Moses. But now it's not so much the law of Moses as it is laws of our own making. You, you name it, it's a law. When I was growing up, and a lot of the Pentecostal uh, doctrines, we could go around here and you would say it, that then it was a lot of legalism. It was, uh, your, your salvation was based off of how you dressed, how long your shirt was, uh, uh, the fact that you didn't have no earrings in your ears, uh, no makeup on, you know, men couldn't have a beard on their face. It, it was always based off of what we did and what we didn't do. But understand tonight, your salvation will say it again and again and again because you ever need to be reminded, I ever need to be reminded that my salvation is not based off of what I do, but it's based off of what He's already done. You see, when I go about trying to do something, to maintain something, then I've stepped right back into religion. But Christ desires for us to stay, hear me, stay, abide in the vine, Stand in the liberty where he has made you free. Stay right there at the foot of the cross. You got saved through the cross. You stay saved through the cross. Amen. But the problem is that so many times believers, they get saved. They love the Lord with all that's within them. And then after they're getting saved, they set out, if you will, to live for the Lord by the means of laws. And law, you can turn anything into a law. Anything into a law. Like I said, you name it, you could turn it into a law. And we think that if we do certain things, then we will be able to obtain what God has for us. Here we're speaking about victory. In order to be able to maintain what we have and to have this abundant life. Listen, every believer hears that I have, you know, that Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. They desire that. And the problem is, it's because we don't live by faith. But instead, we're trying to live by what we do. We're setting out trying to achieve that abundant life. And that abundant life, hear me tonight, only comes through simple faith in Christ and what he's done. If you set out to live for the Lord by the means of flesh, you will never know what abundant 
life is. And there are way too many that are within the church today that are not truly, hear me, believers. They love the Lord with all that is within them. Many that are even spirit-filled, that are seeking out for that abundant life, but don't have it, can't enjoy it, because they're trying to do it all themselves. They are placing the burden back on them. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. When you got saved, that burden was lifted off of you. You felt like you was just flying in the air, amen? But the problem is, is when we set out to live for the Lord, and we try to do it, and we try to keep the commandments, we try to keep the law, we try to do it, the very thing that got unloaded off of you, now it ain't sin so much, uh, the, the things that was traded in, but now you've heaped up on law onto you, and now you're walking around, you're humped over, spiritually speaking, and you can't even enjoy life. You can't even enjoy your Christianity. Amen. So again, Galatianism teaches that we're saved by faith, but our ultimate salvation depends on our works and how we have performed. You see, the focus is on you. The focus is on what we do rather than the finished work. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. You don't get any more saved than the day you got saved. You can live for the Lord 10 years. You can have lived for the Lord 20 years. You could have been saved 50 years. But you are no more saved today than you were the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ. There are not different degrees of salvation. Saved is saved. Amen. I don't care if you got saved five minutes before you died and took your last breath like the thief on the cross or if you've been saved a thousand years. Saved is saved. Amen. And no matter what we do, no matter how many victories are won in our life, and we should go on and to win victories in our life and allow the Lord to, to strip these things off of us. But even the victories that are won does not make you more saved. It does not make you more holy. It doesn't make you more righteous. I want you to come to church three times a week. I want you to read your Bible. Come meaning we want you to do all of these things but you can do all of those things and it does not make you more holy or more righteous because your holiness and your righteousness is not in what you do it's because of who you are in. you are in christ tonight amen hebrews seven twenty five says wherefore he is also able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for you. Again, when he saved you, he saved all of you. He didn't leave one thing undone, one sin unatoned for, but he saved all of you. He saved you to the uttermost. Hey, when he saved you, he saved your mouth. He saved your feet. He saved your hands. He saved your eyes. He saved your ears. He saved every bit of you down to the depths of your soul. Your ears now are sanctified. Your mouth now is sanctified. Your feet now is sanctified. Because you're in Jesus Christ. You've been baptized unto Him. He didn't just take this part of you. It's all of you that has been immersed in Christ. So now the faculties of our body, our members of our body, whereas before sin was reigning in them, now righteousness and holiness is being produced through them. Amen. So how we receive all of him, meaning his accomplished work. If you want to see his accomplished work accomplished in you, then you live by faith. I want to see his accomplished work 
accomplished in me. And I can see that each and every single day by looking to Christ and placing my faith there and anchoring it. And when we say anchor our faith there, it's like an anchor that's thrown out of a boat. What happens when a boat is traveling on the water? They throw the anchor out. What does it do? It locks them down. He's the anchor for your soul, amen? You came to Calvary, you need to throw the anchor out so you don't leave the cross. That's the problem with the church. We've left the cross. No, throw the anchor out, let it dig down deep at the foot of the cross, and don't leave there. Don't let anything pull you from what he did for you at Calvary, amen? So again, we find Paul have having a conversation. We talked about it the last two weeks where he came to Antioch and we see where Peter was going back into law. We see where he was reverting his ways and because of his actions, it was leading others to believe that you have to keep the law as well. We see even Barnabas who was started out with Paul himself having left and following in Peter's footsteps, amen? But in front of everyone, Paul rebuked Peter. And we said it last week in verses 15 and 16 that we believe that this conversation, this what Paul is writing, he was saying to Peter in front of everybody. And many theologians, and I, just my belief, believe that verses 17 and 21 was a continuation of 15 and 16. So from 15 to 21, I believe he's saying every bit of this to Peter in front of everybody because he wants to make sure that everybody knows that you're not justified by your works. Because again, works can't justify flesh, but you're justified by your faith and your faith alone. Amen. But many at this time were arguing that Paul's teaching of justification by faith was eliminating the law and encouraging godless living. It's no different today. Man thinks that when you eliminate the law, man thinks that when you elim that you are eliminating the responsibility of man and what he must do to stay saved. In essence, they feel like you are eliminating the moral responsibility. They believe that you are saying that there's no reason to live holy or be good because the doctrine you're preaching is that man can do whatever man wants to do after except to Christ and again that's a shame that we have to continually debunk this idea and this theory listen the moral law is still supposed to be kept. It's still supposed to be uh, observed if you will we don't keep ceremonies and we don't keep rituals but the moral law on over into the new covenant except the one that was about keeping the sabbath day holy because now jesus christ is our sabbath because he is our rest amen that our rest is not in a day but it's in christ so the moral law carried over but you and i can't keep all within ourselves the moral law but it's only through christ by staying in christ that it is kept through us amen when you get saved I know if you're truly saved, you'll tell me that the desires of your heart changed. You don't want to continue in sin. You don't want to continue to live the same way that you lived before. Gosh, you know if you, to, if you could get up tomorrow and never sin again a day in your life, you would do whatever it could take. But the truth of the matter is, is that we're not going to be sinless. We're going to have faults. We're going to have failures. But the true Christian don't seek out ways to sin. We're supposed to run from sin, amen? Abstain from sin. The Bible says, come out from among ye and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So we shouldn't be acting like the world. We shouldn't be talking like the world, walking like the world. But as Christ, amen? 
so Paul was against this. And we find Paul's answer here in the latter part of this verse, God forbid. Romans 6, 1, we see him saying, God forbid again. He dealt with this in his letter to Rome. He's dealing with this in his letter to the Galatia. One, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid that you should maintain the same relationship to sin as you had before you got saved. You see, the problem within the church then and the problem within the church now is there is a gross misunderstanding of justification by faith. What Paul was preaching and what we preach is that justification by faith is a legal work on the part of God. And what does he do? He joins in union, two people. Well, who's the two people? Christ and you. That's the legal work. You've got Christ, righteous and holy, and you've got you filthy and no good but he joins you together there you became married with christ the day that you said yes to jesus christ and because of that as again i said last week you gave him all of your sin you gave him all of your filth and he in return gave you all of his perfection he gave you all of his righteousness he gave you all of his holiness and now what god demands you've got because Christ give it to you. How? Because you're in Christ. That ought to bless your heart tonight and bless your soul. Because I know me. You know you. And you and I both know that we are no good and that we fall short. But God looks down tonight and sees the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He said, that's my daughter. That's my son. He claims ownership over you and I and we can have relationship with him because the blood of Jesus Christ has washed us, has cleansed us and made us white as snow. God cannot demand anything less than that. Anything less than that. And there was nothing that man could do to obtain it. Therefore, God had to step down out of heaven, leave all of glory, leave all of the splendor, came down here in the form of man. Why? Because God didn't die. So he had to come down in the form of a man and suffer the penalty for you and I so that now we can live, not die eternally lost. Amen. Again, I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. As she, they were singing that song over and over again it was swelling up inside of me i'm so thankful for the blood of jesus christ i'm so thankful for the blood you don't know where i was at i don't know where some of you were at but my god how else how can we praise him well i'm so thankful for what he's done because i know what he brought me out of i know the life that i was living and nothing short of a miracle could take me out of that life but let me tell you he's a still a miracle working god and it's found in the blood of jesus amen justification by faith does not mean i now live whatever way i want but now it says that i'm in christ who has set me free from sin, cleansed me all of my sin, tore down every stronghold, and has given me back and given to me what I need to walk victoriously. Law cannot produce this. Only grace. Law can never produce what grace can produce. Though I may fail, the one I am in has not failed. 
And because I'm in him, God sees the blood, declares me righteous, innocent of all charges because of the representative man of Wayne. And his name is Jesus. Amen. So if I, through the law, if I, though, try to force law into justification by faith, then what Paul here is saying is that I'm making Christ a minister of sin because that's all that law can do. You cannot inject law into justification by faith because it nullifies what Christ has done. Christ is not the minister of sin, but Christ is the minister of salvation. Christ is not the minister of condemnation, but he's the minister of justification. The law kills. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives life. So the moment, though, you interject law into the doctrine of justification by faith, you have everything that Christ comes to give we've got to get this tonight this is what the church is missing and not understanding when we inject law into it we just nullify everything that Christ has for us amen the law condemns the law kills but Jesus said I'm not come to condemn the world but through me the world might have life law can't do it so why are we trying to keep the law? But see, this is what we don't realize. We don't realize the severity of this when we try to now live by law and not just simple, exclusive faith in Christ and what he has done. If we look to law to be justified, then we're going to be guilty because the law shows us that we are way insufficient. And I said it this morning, and let me say it again. The terrible but wonderful thing about growing closer to God is that you see yourself more guilty and dirty. And Nicole and I was having that conversation last week. It's a terrible, wonderful thing. It sounds almost oxymoronic. Terrible, wonderful. It's wonderful growing closer to the Lord. There's nothing like it that you can draw nigh to Him. God, the Bible says, don't draw nigh to you. It's wonderful. I promise. I draw nigh to him, hey, I'm going to draw nigh to you. But we don't draw nigh to God through law. We draw nigh to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the, here, the terrible part of the wonderful thing is that as you grow closer to him and you get closer to life, you're going to say, my Lord, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm wretched. But what happens then, it says again, oh, Lord, if I was thankful for the blood before, I'm thankful for the blood now. Because these things that I didn't see before, I'm now seeing because I'm getting closer to the light and it's shining in on these imperfections. Oh God, I need you to change me. Oh God, I need you to check my heart. Oh God, change me. Renew a right spirit into me. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can do it. That's why people don't understand why we say we preach Christ and Him crucified. Because it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse us, that changes us. Nothing else will do it. Nothing. Nothing at all. So verse 18 lets us know that if we try, if we try to keep the law and we turn back to it in any shape, form, or fashion regarding victory and living for him, then what we're doing in Exodus is turning back to sin. The law only encourages sin where grace encourages victory. You see, the Holy Spirit is not going to help you and I live victoriously as Christ desires for you to live outside of simple faith in the sacrifice. Here's the thing. In Christ, you now have a power source to be able to help you live 
and walk in victory. And the power source that you and I need to be able to live for Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we all will say and we all and we all recognize that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, is we want to help our helper. We want to help the helper. He don't need your help. He don't need my help. See, it's just like a house that's been purchased. The house has been purchased. It's done. It's like those that purchased it and they go in there to remodel it or, or whatever the word is. Um, um, what's the word I'm thinking about? They're doing an HGT, huh? You renovate, that's it, renovate. You buy the house, it's yours, but when you walk inside the door, you say, uh-oh, the whole lot changed. The house is purchased, it's sealed, it's ownership, you're the ownership of the Lord, but now there's a whole lot of junk on the inside that he wants to push out of you. That's why we say he wants to bring your condition, who you are currently right now in yourself, and I want to bring you up to your position in Christ. See, he wants to bring you up to who you, he sees you as. Perfect, righteous, holy. But you and I know we're anything but on our own righteous, perfect, and holy. We fall short of the glory of God. But what he desires, the Holy Spirit now, he's the agent of transformation, now has been given to you and says, all right, he's mine, now clean him up. The Holy Spirit does the cleaning. Not me, not anybody else. I'm to catch the fish, and then he cleans the fish. He cleans you and I up. He and he alone. He don't need your help. What he needs you to do for him to be able to work is for you to keep looking to Christ. Keep looking to Christ. If this was Jesus right here, this flag, I'm to keep looking to him and he could come around and do all of the work and have all of the latitude. But the problem is, is I take my eyes off of Jesus and I begin to place it on what I see needs to change and then all of a sudden I step down and go oh let me do this myself and I try to do it and the moment that I do that the moment that I try to start changing myself this is what the Holy Spirit does he sits back he's still there in the house because he don't leave because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit but he sits back the helper the one who changes you and he's sitting back and he's watching you and the only thing he's seeing is you making a bigger mess than what's already there and then we realize, uh-oh, I messed up. And then while we're up here running around, here's me. Now, all right, I hear you, Lord. I'm going to sit down. We're playing musical chairs. I'm sitting down right here. Now the Holy Spirit who was over here says, all right, now let me get up. Roll up the sleeve. Let me get back to work. Because I've said it before. In order for him to work, you've got to rest. Rest in Christ. Stay in Christ. But the moment you get up and start working, the Holy Spirit goes to rest. You and him both can't be working at the same time. One will work and one will rest. And what you and I have been called to do is to rest and allow him to do the work that only he can do. And my gosh, do you realize that that relieves the burden off of you and I? I don't have to do it. Oh, the religious people don't like that. Oh, you don't have to do it. Oh, yes, you have to. I don't. He said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And the last time I checked, if I'm up working, I'm certainly not resting. You work Monday through Friday, you work. Right, Jan? On Saturday, Jan likes to rest. It's her rest day. It would be crazy for her to go into work on her rest day and start working. Rest. Rest in Christ each and every single day. Amen. 
to turning to any law of our own doing, no matter what it may be, we're going to find opposite of what we're trying to obtain. You won't find victory by working. What you're going to find is bondage. If you rest in Christ and what he's done, you are assured that the Holy Spirit's going to bring victory to you and in your life. Amen. You see, as one who if is uh, abiding in him and what he's done, you realize that I don't have to try to fix something. I don't have to try to fix me. I couldn't save myself, and I'm certainly not going to be able to clean myself up. But here's the problem with the church. We recognize that we can't save ourselves. But we don't recognize we can't clean ourselves up. We'll tell the world, works won't save you. But then we'll turn right around and tell the church, works, you got to perform works to sanctify yourself. I'm not the sanctifier. I'm not the justifier. I'm not the sanctifier. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. But now in Christ, I'm everything. And what I'm supposed to do is simply stay in Christ. Don't move from that position at all. It's going to be tempting and you know why? Because there's something inside of man, that's the sin nature, that thinks, hey, I can do it. Hey, I can do this. Oh, I've got a bright idea. Surely this will work. Because self likes to be exalted. Amen? And there are many within the church, again, that are dealing with a bondage that's within their life, and they're seeking to find victory and seeking to be right with God by the means of their own labor and by the means of their own works. But the problem is that there's a failure to recognize that they cannot do it. That's the problem. We fail to recognize that we can't do it. And we say it all of the time. Lord, I can't. You can help. And if there is a motto that you want to learn. And that you want to live by. That he wants you to live by. Lord, I can't. You can help. Six words. It's not just in memorizing, not just saying it, but applying it to your life. Lord, I can't. Not just with everything in life. Hey, we face things day in and day out. And we try to tackle the problem all within ourselves. And we forget. Oh, gosh. It's like sometimes I was, it was a problem. I was coming on the way down to church tonight. Something was aggravating me. And the first thing in my mind, the wheels start turning. Well, how am I going to handle this? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden, he put me a check. Wait a minute, you're getting ready to preach something you ain't doing right now. He had to put me in check. Lord, I give it to you. I can't do this, Lord. But you can, so please help me. And you are assured and promised the help of the Holy Spirit to get what you need. It's like a person that's drowning in the water. A person's drowning in the water. They can't save themselves. And what happens? If the, that's why many times the lifeguard won't get too close to them because what will they do? They will try to save themselves and in return will bring the other person down. But here the Lord has threw out the life preserver, if you will. It's Jesus Christ. It's what he did at Calvary's cross. And this is like a person that's drowning in the water. A life preserver is there to where they don't have to struggle anymore. And instead of them grabbing a hold of the life preserver, they're still trying to doggy paddle their way and stay above float. You've got the help right there. You're drowning in the water. You're going down. You're puzzling up water. Your head's bobbing up and down. You've got the help right there. All you've got to do is reach out. Just give up and reach out on that and depend upon that life preserver. But instead, we don't. Reach out. Take a hold of what he did for you at Calvary. 
and quit trying to stay afloat by your own strength and effort because you won't make it that way. So again, another example, a railroad and a train. And I had it backwards when I was going back over, and I said, it don't sound right. I thought the caboose is what pulled the train, but I realized the caboose is in the back, and it's the locomotive. <laughs> I said, if I don't fix that, I'm going to say it, and they're going to laugh at me. The locomotive does what? Pulls the cart on the train track. The carts don't do any of the work. The locomotive pulls it. But this is what we do. We take that railroad that we're on where Christ is pulling us to heaven, and we'll take the railroad and turn it into a ladder and try to climb our way in. He wants to pull you in. He wants to pull you to heaven on the railroad, but we turn right around and take what he's pulling us on and turn it into a ladder and try to climb it on our way in to achieve what it is that we need from him. When you fail to depend solely upon the work of Calvary, then that puts us right back in the same place where we were before, and that is in the guilty position. This is all that law can do is declare us guilty. And we need his grace that we cannot supply for ourselves, but he alone can do it. If I get sick and I go to the doctor, and the doctor diagnoses the problem, tells me, say, for instance, I've got bronchitis, I'm going to prescribe you an antibiotic. Take this antibiotic in 10 days, for 7 days or 10 days or however long, and you will get better got the prescription all i gotta do is take it to the pharmacy get it and take it but instead how crazy would it be if i know this antibiotic will cure me but yet i go on to the drugstore and instead of taking that antibiotic i'm going to the uh, get over-the-counter medicines to try to treat myself that doesn't take care of the problem if it could take care of the problem then why was the antibiotic prescribed in the beginning if you could clean yourself up, if you could save yourself, then why did Christ have to go to Calvary's cross to die? The, the truth is you can't. That's why he had to die. You can't make yourself better. You've got to depend on him and what he has done for you. Verse 19 tells us that through the law we are dead. The law is good. And it did what it was supposed to do, which is tell me, hey, I'm guilty and I'm a sinner. But what Paul here is saying is that he has ceased to have any relationship with the law because why? The law has no control over him. Because when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you died. And what Paul here is saying is that the law cannot have control over something that's dead. It's like if you have a dog. You back out commands and the dog listens as long as it's alive. But guess what? When the dog dies and is laying there with his tongue hanging out, you can sit and say roll over. You can sit and say bark. You can sit and say jump. But if it's dead, it ain't going to listen, is it? You're dead to the law. You're dead. You're separated from all of that. It did what it was supposed to do. It pointed out your sin. <coughs> it told you that you were guilty. See, we have to realize that the law cannot produce in us what is needed and desired. Therefore, the law has to be abandoned and grace embraced. The only way you're going to live unto God, the only way you're going to live unto God is by being dead to the law. Living unto the way that he demands. But again, you are dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. So where does that lead the law? Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The law is very much alive. 
And the law will reap upon those that refuse to say yes to God's provision punishment. The law will render out punishment upon those that don't accept the provision, that don't accept the sacrifice. But when you accepted the sacrifice, you died to the law and therefore no punishment can be served on you. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment upon himself which is death upon him for you and I so that we now can live unto him. How do you live unto God? By being dead to the law. By having no relationship with it whatsoever. Now you can live unto God. You see, Jesus deserved to live because he was perfect. I deserved to die because I was imperfect and I was guilty. But Jesus paid the price for breaking the law, suffered the penalty with his life that he didn't have to do so that now I, so that now you can get what you don't deserve, what I don't deserve, and that's life. Amen? You see, he, tr- he was treated like he'd done everything that you've done. And yet you've been treated like everything that he done. So you were given his perfect life. Amen. Again, there should be no relationship with the law in the believer's life. Why are we returning back to a bad relationship that did nothing more but leave us guilty and gave us nothing when the relationship we now have in Christ has given us everything? Why would we want to turn back to law that left us empty, that left us full, that, I mean, that left us with nothing when in Christ you've got everything? One cannot live until one first dies. Do you realize that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, your obituary was written? Hey, Wayne Moose on such and such day died, but he now lives. Your obituary has been written. You died. Well, when did you die? 2,000 years ago. How did you die? On the cross with Christ. Because when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were placed there in him. And when he died, you died. And how he died was how you died. You were crucified with Christ. Amen. Verse 20, the greatest statement that can be uttered by the believing sinner. By the believing sinner is that I am crucified with Christ. You see, until you have a crucified life, you will never have an experience, a resurrected life. Because one cannot live free if one is still entangled in bondage. Because you've got to come to the end of yourself. So when we say crucified, happened when Jesus was crucified he died but guess what he got up out of the grave amen and he lives now when you were crucified with Christ when you die with him you can live unto God but you'll never experience resurrected life until you first live a crucified life until you first remain dead and on how often should I remain dead Luke 9 23 says and he said unto them all if any man will come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Each and every single day, you've got to stay dead. Stay dead so you can live. Stay dead so you can live. Deny yourself. Lord, I can't do this. And realize and recognize and admit every day that there's nothing good inside of me that dwells. That I can't produce righteousness. I can't produce holiness. I can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. I cannot produce change. It only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Flesh can't produce that. Only grace can. Amen. You see, because I've been crucified with Christ... That means I can share in his resurrection and in partake in all 
that he has. Even though I'm dead, I'm still alive. But now it's not me anymore who's in control of my life, but it's rather Christ who is living in me. You see, your life is no longer to be lived a self-centered life, but rather a Christ-centered life. We spoke about it this morning. Jesus, be the center of it all. He's to be the center of your life. He's to be the center. But the problem is we got too many that's got self as the center. And we want Jesus to come alongside and, and join hands with self. No, no. Self has to die. And when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were crucified with him. He's now to be the center of your life, not you. Because it's not you who's living anymore. It's Christ who's living inside of you. Have you ever been around people that after you got saved and they recognized the changes in your life? And they, I remember one woman looked at me after not having seen me for several years and had came back to the restaurant and she was just around me for a period of an hour. Never talked about Jesus. We were in the middle of lunch making food, nothing. But through my actions, she said, Wayne, what has happened to you? What are you talking about? You're not that same person that I remember. Oh, I gladly looked. I said, oh, it's not me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who you're seeing. It's Jesus who you're seeing making these hamburgers. It's Jesus who you're seeing talking. It's Jesus because he's the center of my life. I didn't have to sit and start preaching a sermon. My life was preaching a sermon to her because he's the center of my life. Amen. You see, why... Again, we are to not try to be in control of ourselves. You're a terrible king or queen, ladies. I'm a terrible king. You're terrible queens, kings. We're terrible. So why do we want to be up on the throne? Because when we're in control, we make a mess out of everything. He is the king of kings. He knows what he's doing. Let him get on the throne. You sit back and watch him work. Because he will leave you in awe and amazement day in and day out when you realize that you see the changes that are taking place in your heart and life. You begin to see the bondages that were once there that you were entangled in, that the clinging binds of the fall, if you will, after you got saved, you see them breaking off of you because it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it, not you. He owns me now. You see, I gave myself to him that day and I said yes to him to this life that I now live in the flesh every single day. And how do I supposed to live it? I live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Not by works. Not by law. But by faith and faith alone. You see, if I try to go back to law, then what in essence I'm doing is stealing myself away from Christ. You realize that? He owns you now. He owns me. And when I turn back to law or I turn back to works, I'm in essence stealing myself away from him. Grace has pulled me in, but I'm going to do it by law and I'm stealing myself away from him. He bought you. He bought me with his precious blood. He paid the price. But when we try to do it ourselves and we try to go back to law, we are stealing what he purchased because we think we can do it better than he can so this life that i'm living is by faith not just any faith but paul said by faith and the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This simple verse that we all learned as a child, but my gosh, if we could really get a hold of this. For God so loved Wayne that he gave his only son. For God so loved Paula that he gave his only son. For God so loved Michael. You could put your name in there in the place of the world because guess what? If it would have just been for you, he would have came and paid the price. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for the of the world. He gave. He didn't say you've got to earn it. I'm giving you my son. I'm giving to you all that you are ever going to need. You see, the only way you can be saved and the only way you can receive victory is through the provision of God. The avenue by which you receive it is through the pipeline of faith. And again, grace comes through the pipeline of faith. That's how grace flows, but it's the grace flows into your heart and life the way that we need it to flow in our heart and life through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. So when you realize this and it gets hold of you like it did Paul when you see that he loved you despite of you and suffered a death that you did not owe God's grace can now flow to you and declare you as something that you within yourself are not and never could be Paul goes on to then say I do not frustrate the grace of God I realize I'm crucified with Christ so this life I'm now living it's not me who's living it it's Christ who's living in me and what I'm to do what I've been called to do is live by faith in the Son of God, of the one who loved me, who gave himself for me. Because if I don't live that way and I don't live a crucified life, then guess what Paul says? I am frustrating the grace of God. You see, there is no salvation for the sinner who depends on works for acceptance with God, as equally, there is no works that can make the Christian accepted by God. Because again, without faith, it's impossible. To please him. Amen. First Corinthians 15 10. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. But the grace of God was in me. If we fail to look to the sacrifice. Then we're nullifying his grace. That he desires to provide and pour into our heart and life. Failure to look to Calvary makes void the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and your life. Because we're going outside of the provision. It's like getting frustrated when you know what something will work, but yet you've got somebody that comes in and tells you, well, hey, I think that there's a better way. You get frustrated because you know the way that it works. It's been tried. It's been tested. It's been proven. And what happens is we're frustrating the grace. We're frustrating the Holy Spirit when we take our faith outside of Christ and we place it upon anything else, which is always self and what self can do we're frustrating him because he wants to work he wants to move upon your behalf he wants to move upon my behalf but if we don't allow him the latitude we're frustrating him we're putting the handcuffs on his hands if you will because he wants to go to work he works is by just looking to christ each and every single day amen paul says that if what I desire could come by the law, the works of my own hands, then you know what Christ has stepped out of heaven and died for absolutely no reason. If righteousness come by the law, if righteousness come by the law, then guess what? Christ has died in vain. 
Christ came, stepped out of heaven. He came out of heaven. He went to Calvary's cross. He suffered the death. He endured the crown of thorns. He endured the beard being plucked out of his face. He endured them spitting upon him. He endured them mocking him. He endured the lashes on his back. He endured that cross. He endured the nails going into his hands. He endured the nails going into his feet. He died, and guess what? He endured all of that for nothing. If what you need could come by law. If what you need could be attained by anything you can do, then he went through all of that for nothing. And in essence, what we're saying is that, God, you made a mistake. You messed up because I can add to what you did and must add to to get what it is that I need. His desire is for you to give him your broken self, give him your bondage, and he will fix you. He will fix you and work on you, but the effectiveness of his work is dependent upon you and I. Because when you came to Christ, you were declared clean and therefore are justified by God and have peace with him. Amen. He now has ownership. But there's some things that needs to be cleaned up in my life. There's things that needs to be cleaned up in your life. And the way that those things are going to be cleaned up is not by anything that we can do, but by allowing him to work on me and you. But we've got the promise. He that has begun a good work. And my God, it was a good work the day that you got saved. He that's begun a good work is going to perform it. He's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. This last thing, and we don't need any music. In the Christian, the child of God, the last enemy to be destroyed, guess what? It's self. That's the last enemy to be destroyed. And it takes a lifetime for it to be accomplished. Because, again, it's hard to get self out of the way. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's hard to get us out of the way. That's why we have to die to ourselves each and every single day. And how we realize this is by realizing that we've been crucified with Christ. I died with Jesus that day on Calvary. I'm not living anymore. It's now him who's living inside of me and doing what only he can do. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for what you have done for us at Calvary. And knowing, Lord, we can never obtain, Lord, what you have purchased for us. Lord, we realize that tonight all of our hope, our righteousness, our sanctification, our justification, it is all wrapped up in you. And Lord, I pray tonight for the things that may be in our heart and life that we are struggling with. Lord, I pray that we would nail it to the cross. Lord, we would take it to the cross, Lord. That we would quit trying to defeat the giant upon our own. But that, Lord, we would take it to the cross of Christ. That we would nail it there, Lord. And allow your victory to come to us, Lord. That we would realize that in Christ we are victorious. That we don't have to fight a battle that has already been fought and won. And it was fought and won 2,000 years ago. Lord, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in and through our lives, producing, Lord, the fruit of your Spirit that only you can do, Lord. And, God, that we would continue to grow in grace and in knowledge. Lord, let us never, never leave the cross. But, Lord, let us stay fixated upon it and stay rooted and grounded in what you've accomplished for us, Lord, ever giving you praise for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight with us. Thank you for those that have watched in online. I pray that the word has been a blessing to you. Um, remember, this Tuesday night we will have prayer meeting at 7, Wednesday night Bible study at 7, 
uh, next Sunday morning, 1030 service, but we will not have Sunday evening service uh, because of Father's Day. Remember the men and women's meeting that's coming up on June 25th at 7 p.m. Looking forward to that, as well as the first responder breakfast on June 27th on that Saturday from 9 to 11. Amen. We love each and every one of you. Be blessed.